Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Every Arkansan Podcast. I'm Drew Davis, and this week we've got my friend Dave Donaldson sharing about CityServe. And CityServe Arkansas is here. We cannot wait for you to get on board. So, Dave Donaldson, so glad that you can be here. So glad that you've invested so much of your life into ministry. So it's always great for me to hear from someone who's kind of gone before and conquered the mountain and then starting back over with something new, which is really exciting, which is what we're really here about. But just, could you just tell us a little bit about your story and how you kind of figured out your God-given dream and started chasing after it? By conquering the mountains and the valleys. (laughs) (laughs) I think I mentioned to you last night, Walt Disney was asked, you know, after 25 years, what what would he do differently? And Disney laughed and said, I don't want to do it over again. And so that, that's how I, I feel, but very grateful. Uh, yeah, when I was nine years of age, uh, my dad was a pastor uh, in Northern California. And uh, our parents were going to a board meeting and they were driving down the freeway and a drunk driver slid across the divide and hit their car head on. Our dad was killed instantly, our mother survived. Uh, They literally had to pin her body back together again for her to survive. And and Drew, I I remember when my two brothers and I went to the hospital to visit her and, and we peered through the glass into her room and she was so beaten up and broken, she didn't even I mean, didn't recognize us and we didn't recognize her. In fact, when she spoke my older brother's name, he collapsed to the ground right next to me because of the trauma. And so there we were, uh, three boys, a younger sister, you know, wondering what's going to happen next. Where are we going to get food, clothing, and, you know, who's going to take in four young kids and compassionate, generous people. They brought us food every night for six months. Wow. And I'll never forget that compassion and action. And that that was a turning point for me. Instead of becoming angry at God, uh, I said, God, I want to be like those people because I saw the power of compassion uh, that can break through the hardness and the hurt. And as a result of that, a family named the Davises uh, they didn't have a big bank account, you know, didn't have a big house. They lived in a single wide trailer and they invited the four of us to live with them. Wow. And I'll never forget that day when we walked up uh, to that trailer and I was scared. You know, I wondered, would this be another stop along the way? Would they really want us and keep us? And as we approached the front door, uh, the door swung open. And there Mr. Davis stood, and he, he had this warm, inviting smile on his face. And he gave us hugs, and this is what he said. He said, you are with family, and this is your home. Wow. That four-letter word, it changed our lives. Uh, because it meant that they were willing to not only share their space, mm-hmm. but they are willing to share in our pain, our sorrow, our anger, And that's what compassion literally means, to suffer with. And it was because of these compassionate, generous people 
that years later, my brothers and I started Convoy of Hope, uh, which now has helped uh, over 80 million people wow. around the world. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, we launched uh, CityServe mm-hmm. to really empower, equip the local church to do that in their own neighborhoods. And that's really what, what you're in town for and what we've been spending time together because we're going to join in your revolution slash movement of, of taking it back to the local church. Um, and so just what's your heart behind that? Because you, you're you so eloquent in just explaining the whole concept of from the neighborhood to the nations, but also restoring that power to where God rightfully wants it to be. Well, first of all, we feel like you guys have already started a compassion revolution through the Dream Center and, and under your great leadership. Thank you. And there's so much we can learn and have learned from you. So this is truly like the Transcontinental Railroad. <laughs> uh, God is aligning the tracks. But the best way I can describe it, there was a pastor of a church that invited me to speak. And I'm seated behind him waiting uh, to come up. And I thought he was going to introduce me, but instead he resigned from the church. <laughs> and and to make matters worse, uh, my sermon topic or title was never quit, never give up. <laughs> and so uh, afterwards, a pastor told me that he had grown discouraged. Uh, he said there was just so many problems in the community, the church, he he felt overwhelmed, mm-hmm. he was outgunned, he was ill-equipped, and as a result, he was leaving. And so, you know, those are the pastors we've got to help. Yes, We need to inspire, we need to equip, and uh, we need to be there to cheer them on. And so for CityServe, we have these warehouse hubs, like a dream center, filled with product that's donated by large companies in these warehouses, then train the pods. And those are local neighborhood churches. Yes. And so by equipping those pods, and we've been able to equip hundreds of pods in Southern California, those churches then are able to meet needs in their own neighborhood, but also they're able to build a relationship with them. And to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. A great example of that is Melissa. Uh, Melissa in Fresno, uh, she came up to me after uh, the first service and she said, thank you for the bed. Uh, her kids her kids were sleeping on the floor. And she said through CityServe Fresno, you provided us with a bed, even a table, and, and she said, when my kids go to bed each night, that's a sermon. Mm-hmm. That's a sermon of the love, you know, of Jesus, but also that church. She's now part of that church, committed her life to Christ, and now she is helping city serve in that region. Here in Arkansas, if a child doesn't have a bed, they can actually be taken away from a parent, put in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people think, oh, what difference can I make? Oh, well, they're sleeping on a bed. But you just kept a family intact. That's the mission of the church and of God, to see families and relationships mended, healed, and growing together. And that's just so exciting 
just to hear that it's, this is what this opportunity is. Not me being the answer, but the local church pointing them right back to Jesus Christ. And I would encourage pastors to push the pause button and to realize when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he's talking about you. Mm -hmm. I call it the for-profit leader, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, mm -hmm. for-profit leader. And we want to help pastors realize that God has destined for them to fill a seat of influence in their community as a kingdom diplomat. But here's what happens. If that seat is left vacated, it won't be vacated very long. True. Because those that do not share our moral biblical values will take that seat. It's like musical chairs. Mm -hmm. And too many of our leaders are left standing in the middle, looking around, and all the seats are filled. And then they, they say, well, there's no place for me in this community. Yes, there is. God has a, an anointing upon your life for influence and to influence all the different sectors, like how God has used you and your team, you know, here in Arkansas, to influence government, corporate, the churches, nonprofit. And so it, it truly is one of the most exciting things to be a part of, to see the church awakened to take its rightful and responsible place in its community. And I think one of the other powerful things about this is we're not coming to that local church and saying, pay us money. Give, give us another little cut of something. We're coming to them saying, we've got something for the kingdom. And that's huge to me because I've seen so many churches just beat up. Hey, we need $100 a month support or we need this support or we need that. No, we want to re-energize that pastor, that committee, <laughs> that, yes. the whole picture Amen. of what the kingdom is built around. Yep. And part of that is, you know, we like you said, we've had a lot of pastors saying, hey, uh, you know, how much are we supposed to give, you know, for this? Well, God's providing it, you know, miraculously. And I love the, the scripture in Joel, and it says unlimited are the resources to equip God's army. Unlimited are his resources. And we got to stop looking at our communities just as a community of needs, but as a community of assets. And to go on a God-led scavenger hunt like you've done <laughs> and, and find, you know, the, 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 the people, uh, the resources, create the processes, you know, to connect the resource to the need. It should break our heart that the amount of food that is wasted every day would fill the Rose Bowl. Every day. That's insane. When so many people in our country are, are going hungry. Mm -hmm. Kids are going to bed. I remember when I was directing Operation Blessing for the 700 Club, and we were in the Appalachian Mountains, and we walked into a little home, and there was this boy named Eric, and uh, he showed us there was no food in that house. Mm -hmm. And so we simply asked, well, what happens, you know, you know, at night when there, there's no food? And he looked into the camera, and he said, I go hungry. It was like, 
Yeah. I mean, so much of us when we say, oh, I'm hungry yeah. and we have nothing to eat in the house, we go to the cupboard and it's like, we have nothing we want to yeah. eat out of all that. Yeah. But it's a whole nother thing. And I mean, in Arkansas, it's basically one out of five children goes, goes without, mm-hmm. um, especially wow. as it involves food. And it just, it's crazy to think that in such a blessed country yeah. that any child could go to bed without food, without a bed, without the clothes to wear the next day or, or or whatever that is. And I think that's one of the things on the flip side of this, when the church becomes the solution, Mm -hmm. I was recently out there when you were bringing some churches together to share some of the stories. Um, These pastors that were discouraged are talking about, instead of worrying about what was going on inside of my church, I started worrying about what was going on outside of my church and meeting these needs. And God took care of bringing the people. Churches that were not sure they were going to keep going are talking about they're busting at the seams with people wanting to get in to hear about this God that they've experienced now. Mm -hmm. And that's so exciting to me because we know that the average church in America is less than 200 people. We've got bivocational pastors that, holy cow, they're barely surviving figuring out what's next weekend's mm-hmm. message, let alone thinking about these things and being able to come in with an opportunity for them to say, hey, church, let's go out. Let's bring them in. Just like the Great Commission said, go into the nations. And and that's kind of the, the flip side of this. This isn't just about yeah. Arkansas or California or our local community. It's from the neighborhood to the nations. So tell us a little bit about the flip side of this city serve international. The the compassion of Jesus is neighborhoods to the nations. And as I mentioned, uh, compassion literally means to suffer with. So when people ask what is missions, it's discovering the heart of God. And as a former founder of World Vision uh, used to say, uh, let my heart let my heart break for what breaks the heart of God. So if that happens in our lives, then we are going to pray. Uh, we're going to give, and we're going to go. And so for many, that needs to start in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And as that heart surgery happens, and we discover more and more the heart of God for people that are suffering, that are lost, and we're not, we're, and we're not, you know, just stuck though in our own neighborhood. Uh, we realize that that we do have uh, an anointing for our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, the surrounding communities, and then the ends of the earth. And so that's what's happening, uh, Drew, as churches as we're building their capacity to serve in their own community. They're now catching a new vision for international missions, such as helping the refugees. Mm-hmm. You know, right now in Lebanon and uh, Syria, Turkey and Jordan, it's truly one of the greatest opportunities, not only in our lifetime, but ever mm-hmm. to share the love of Christ with the Muslim people. But that is happening for many pastors and lay leaders as they're catching a new vision for their own community. So that's why neighborhoods to the nations. A lot of us look at missions as, oh, we're going to go feed these small children. Oh, we're going to go meet this need. But it's so much more because 
we're equipping the local church in those refugee camps. We're empowering these these pastors, apostles in these Muslim refugee camps to say, hey, I'm a Christian and I want to share the love of Christ with you, something that you've never been open to before, but I'm going to meet this need and I'm going to share what I've got with you. And it's creating a new church movement Mm -hmm. in those communities that is going to go on beyond the refugee crisis, beyond the moment of need to developing something that is beautiful. Um, Back in its day, the Crusades, they went to try to force Jesus. This is to say, no, Jesus wants you to have this and be blessed. And it's it's so beautiful to me just to, to see a different methodology in how it's working by just that need. Well, the truth is, and you and I have been nonprofit leaders for quite a while, is that too many churches have outsourced compassion to nonprofit organizations. And, and as a result, many of the nonprofits, their strategy is come help us do our thing. Right. And so they're not parachurch, they're parallel. And that's and, probably a and, way better way of saying it. And and many nonprofit leaders that I'm speaking to, uh, God is working on their heart to return back to supporting mm-hmm. the local church, because they realize that they, in many ways, have been extracting from the local church instead of building the capacity of that church right. and its leaders. And uh, so they're doing. In about face, I had one nationally known uh, leader of a nonprofit. Uh, he said to me, "We've got to start flipping this." And I said, "Are like 60, 40, 60 serving the local church, forty receiving?" And he goes like this: 80, 20. because we have so much to make up by taking and not sowing. And so that's part of this compassion revolution. And part of how God is using City Serve is that prophetic calling uh, the church back to its community, but calling nonprofit leaders back to supporting the local church and its mission. And and I look at here in our community, one of the things I, I was sitting down with a leader of an after school program the other day, and she was just talking about how she found a local church. And instead of starting something and buying a building and doing all this stuff with her program, she put it in the local church. She took it back to the local church where the answer is, but also where the people are, where the facilities are. We don't need to invest more in building more and buying more buildings when they're there. That is a great point. You know, a lot of uh, retail space is now coming up. Because of Amazon and, and really the advent of the online uh, purchasing. And uh, we really believe a lot of those buildings are going to be redeemed mm-hmm. and repurposed for uh, city served dream centers. And uh, it's already happening. As you know, in Bakersfield, we received a very large Montgomery Wards. You've been there. Yes. And right now that's being fully repurposed into a center 
that is like a one-stop shop, you know, that has a lot of everything from uh, financial literacy, daycare, has for-profit, a food court. We're part of the uh, the proceeds go back into CityServe. And then the whole warehouse side of it as a as the hub to serve the pods. Mm-hmm. And so uh, business leaders have been talking to me about this, mm-hmm. how to reclaim these buildings that are vacant, just sitting there. And many of them, as you know, they're in such strategic places mm-hmm. and just waiting. Yeah. I mean, it's this building that we're filming this in now, I was kind of joking with you about don't be too impressed with our studio what the people can't see this is an old school that was abandoned for 10 plus years sitting right in the middle of perhaps the most desperate apartment community in our city that has been revitalized to now reaching out to that community and i think there's a lot of churches are like that i mean we have four thousand churches a year just shutting the doors that's right. There's so much opportunity for this revitalization. And you mentioned pods, and I'm real bad about talking about something and no one understanding. Really, can you give the definition of what a pod is? Yeah, a pod is an abbreviation for point of distribution. That's a local church. And in some cases, we do facilitate nonprofits like those helping foster children. You know, you and I talked about this yes, last sir. night, children that, you know, all their belongings are in like a hefty bag. You know, mm-hmm. our foster daughter that we eventually adopted, she showed up at our house with just a box and that was it. Well, now through CityServe, they have nice suitcases. Mm-hmm. And so and I think that's an example of God doesn't waste anything. Right. So whether it's suitcases, it could be a table. We have a, a right now a video that we're putting together for uh, Anna, Anna's table. Her dream was to have a table that her kids could sit around, and she now has that. Through that table, she's now part of a church. And uh, you know the story of the pastor in Wasco, California, you know, middle of nowhere, and uh, he was trying to get to know his neighbors, and he's you know door to door, and they wouldn't even open the door. And if they did, it was like a crack. And so he was going through the hub, the warehouse hub, to support his church, the pod. He sees all this dog food. And it just, it dawns on him that he could get to know his neighbor's pets. (laughs) And to give them uh, free dog food, you know, those big sacks. And he's going door to door and uh, getting to know his neighbors through their pets and his church, you know, is just, it's grown exponentially. And so now they call him the, you know, the dog man of Wasco. Hey. <laughs> and if anyone's been, to, I've got family in Wasco. Oh, really? Uh, the Andrews family of Wasco. Um, it's, there's not a whole lot there. <laughs> a lot of farms and flatland and. Evidently there's a lot of pets. A lot of pets. But, so. <laughs> but uh, so a pod it is that local church. So we now have regional warehouse hubs that are servicing over a hundred pods, hundred churches, many of which have never done anything to reach out to their community. Mm-hmm. So it is a revolution. Last year in 2000, 
18th, we received over $15 million of donated product. Think about that. And we were able, through the warehouse hub and the pods, to help 1.2 million people. 1.2 million people. Through the local church. Through the local church. Yeah. That, that is probably more than would have even ever considered walking into the front doors of the local church before just based upon oh we're promoting an easter sunday or we've got an easter egg hunt or whatever it is because it's the church in action out beyond meeting the dog food kind of needs and think of the potential for responding to victims of disasters Mm -hmm. you know we need organizations like convoy of hope samaritan's purse and salvation army But we need to also complement that by equipping and mobilizing the local church to respond to its neighbors that are in the same zip code Mm -hmm. so that there is going to be a a continuum of care and follow-up. And I remember when we were responding to uh, Hurricane Sandy in the Northeast, and we always use the local church as the staging area. And so Convoy of Hope, our trucks were there, and the news media interviewed this mom who was outside the church. You know, that was the point of distribution. And the media asked her, is this your church that is helping you? And uh, she replied, it is now. (laughs) And And that's huge. Well, think about all these warehouse hubs and those pods. If they are equipped and resourced, how quickly and effectively we can respond to victims of disasters. We can be the first on the scene, and we're not going to leave. Absolutely. What a novel idea. And I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, because back here in Arkansas, it's usually tornadoes that are our thing. And yeah. it's, you have, a, you have a, a big one, and it makes the national news, and Samaritan's person convoy come in, and there's a big push. But we have hundreds of small ones. Hmm. And no one shows up. Mm. What this enables the local church to do is to show up for the apartment fire, Mm. to show up Mm. for the shooting in a neighborhood, to show up for the small things that are never going to make it on the news. But for those that are right there in the middle of it, it's just as big of a deal as if Hurricane Sandy came in and wiped out their entire city because it's their reality that's been hurt. And the church gets to be the solution and pointing people to God. And it's a relationship that goes beyond the moment and into eternity. And that is well said. That's so, exactly right. And, you know, Drew, the other thing with this strategy as it relates to disasters, whether it be human made, like the fires in Northern California, mm-hmm. or, you know, natural disasters, is that. When you're when there's a series of disasters, it's natural for people to experience a compassion fatigue. You you become desensitized to those images that race across the screen. Even the media, even the media, the that that cycle, that media cycle gets shorter and shorter because they know that the audience is experiencing this compassion fatigue and can only take so much. As a result of that, 
you know, you donations are also coming in in a very, you know, much shorter window. And so there is a need, desperate need for what you just described, these smaller, frequent disasters, because it's out of sight, out of mind, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the community consciousness, right, in awareness. And so you make a great point. And the best way for us to confront this compassion fatigue, which is real. Oh, absolutely. You know, is to make sure that this is church community based, you know, outreach. Uh, one of the great, you know, joys of my life is to become good friends with Pastor Rick Bazette and Darren DeLon. And uh, I remember Rick and I in China and we're overlooking what they call the bund and we're just dreaming about how we can really grow uh, this strategy, the city serve and the dream center together, you know, to become a model, you know, for the nations. And uh, I'm just very grateful uh, for Pastor Rick, uh, his vision, his creativity, you know, his passion, and somebody who just wakes up each and every day looking to inspire leaders. Yes. And I'm grateful to be one of them. It's if you haven't ever gotten to meet him, um, you, you see this person on stage or whatever, that's just so encouraging and so positive. But when you get to know him and you get to meet him, it's the same way on the ground. He'll pop in or he'll drop you a text or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just so encouraging. And that's so refreshing, and especially from a leader that you're used to the correction side of things way more than the encouragement side of it. And he is a leader who invests that positivity, that encouragement in you. Sure, he, he, he can come down on you, and, and we've got to make some corrections, but he's so invested on you the know. positive side that it's like, this is perfectly fine. And it's just an example that I wish I could model better. Um, just from him and, and from Darren and from the whole team at New Life and so much of the whole ARC infrastructure as well. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was starting the Dream Center, um, Rick said, well, we don't really have any money to get this thing started, but I've got some friends. And he <laughs> says, I need you to hang out with Dino Rizzo. <laughs> and we sat around for 15 or 20 minutes and still our core values of consistency and, and, and some of those things were instilled on me by this leader who was just like, hey, here's just the simple truth. You got to go out there. You got to be consistent because so many people have been hurt by the local church by saying, I'm going to show up and do this or by showing up once a year or by doing this. Just, you just got to get out there. You got to be consistent. And so that whole arc infrastructure of all these people that that's brought into my life has been as big of an impact as Rick. Um, from that standpoint. And it's one of the things I love about that movement of churches is it's just so positive. It's not this Bible thumping, push you down. It's we've got this loving God that wants to change your life. And it just, I mean, it's refreshing. It is. And, you know, Bill Bright, you know, mm -hmm. the late great, you know, founder of Campus yes. Crusade, I asked him, what's the key you know, to God's blessing upon your life? And he said, God blesses those 
whom he can trust. Mm-hmm. And, and God trusts Rick Bazette because yes. he give, gives God the glory. And it's all about uh, growing leaders and growing the church spiritually and numerically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you have, uh, you know, <clears throat> I was going to mention one other thing. Right there. Uh, you know, we have this book that just came mm-hmm. out called City Serve, Your Church-Based Guide to Compassion. And Rick and Darren did a chapter uh, that we combined into one. And uh, the name of it, of the chapter is, It's Just Funner. (laughs) (laughs) It's Just Funner. And that's Rick. He has the ability, even though that's not a word, (laughs) you know, to just like, you know, encapsulate it, you know, in, in such a short, you know, manner. In the back of the book, the endorsements, uh, he says, you know, I buy a book looking for one good idea. This has over a hundred. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, you know, the ability to just uh, very briefly, succinctly, you know, hit it. And then, you know, Darren, Darren reminds me of uh, John Adams. You know, John Adams, they wanted to make him the president. He said, no, you know, my role is to put the pieces together to to really execute, you know, the vision. And he has just a really an, an anointing about how to assemble the pieces and attach them to a proven, mm-hmm. well-thought-out strategy to succeed. And then how to push the pause button and celebrate the success of that. And, uh, you know, Darren is one amazing leader. You're truly a a man of God and uh, just uh, it's become one of my closest friends. Yeah. Any pastor that's out there in our Arkansas community, I'll commit up to 100. I better be careful saying them. Um, We'll get you this book. We'll ship it to you. We'll make sure you've got this as a free resource from us to you. Um, Just making that available. So it's 40 different contributors and fits uh, did a great chapter you know bringing uh the neighbor to the hood and uh it's just uh it really it's 40 different contributors specifically talking about church-based compassion you got pastors you got government leaders you have business executives and so it is uh really from a to z you have, for example, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity is in there. Marvin Olasky, who wrote uh, one of the top bestsellers on compassion, The Tragedy of American you know, Compassion, which is a much, I mean, that's a must read. And so we interviewed him in the book. And so uh, it, it's, it's an exhaustive, exciting <laughs> approach to church-based compassion. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for making that long trek in <laughs> and just what you've invested in us and then this partnership that's moving forward for the kingdom is just, uh, I'm giddy with excitement. So, <laughs> a, Well, a labor of love and uh, <laughs> we're honored to you know, just be able to serve with such uh, quality and anointed well, leaders like yourself. You so and, and again, thank you uh, for sharing 
you know, your best practices and, and, and you, you just, the Lord has blessed you with such a, really a, a good mind. Thank you. Uh, you, you, we mentioned last night, you know, the, uh, being hungry, humble, and smart. <clears throat> and that's you, Drew. Well, thank you. You're hungry, humble, and smart. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on the Every Arkansan podcast. Let us know if there's a topic you'd like to learn more about so that we can help you chase after your God-given dream. In the meantime, you can like, subscribe, and share this on social media. Check with us next week for another inspiring story of Arkansans chasing their dreams.